Father in heaven, this is your word, and we ask that you would share it. Father, use me, humble me, hide me, and let your word do that which it was designed to do, to change hearts, change us, all of us. Father, help us to recognize that we have sinned against you and against heaven. Father God, we are not worthy to be called your daughters or your sons. But we're so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ. For he will forever be worthy to be called our Savior. And that's what matters. So we ask that he would speak to us. And we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, the, the parable of the lost coin. This is, I, I have a passion for, for stories in the Bible that are too often used as children's stories. I'll say that again. I have a passion for stories in the Bible that are too often used as children's stories. Sometimes we, we grow up, you know, we graduate from our junior Sabbath school classes, and, and we're adults now, and we, we think that really the only things worth studying may be Galatians and Romans and Thessalonians, and these books are, of course, great. They're inspired just as the rest of the Bible are, but sometimes we neglect um, the stories that were so central when we were finding our faith, stories such as Noah's Ark. How many times have you heard a, a, a sermon about Noah's Ark in the past 10 years? But you've probably heard many a children's story about it. You know, come on into the ark, little children. When really Noah was preaching for 120 years, you better get in this thing or everyone's going to die. It was a serious message. And the same with a lot of these parables, the parables of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost coin. So I want to spend just a little time this afternoon, I guess I've made the preacher mistake of saying that this won't take that long, but it might, the parable of the lost coin. Now this woman, this woman it says she has how many pieces of silver? She has one piece of silver. How many have ever lost money before? None of you? Just four of you. Okay. I know we just had lunch, you know, raising arms can be tedious, but just for the sake of me knowing whether this is even at all relevant, I can just move on to the next point. How many of you have ever lost money before, right? Okay, and you find money, once you, once you lose it, of course, you want to find it. I have, I have this annoying habit of, of putting money in places where I shouldn't, like, you know, suit jacket pockets and stuff like that, and then I lose it, and I'm counting, I can't find it, but then I... You know, months later, look in my, my suit jacket pocket. I'm like, wow, look, my, what a blessing, money in my... But it, it's the same money. Um, but but rarely, rarely do we follow the pattern of this woman, where we lose some money, and we diligently search to find it, but then when we find it, we just call everyone over. Guys, come over. I lost some money and now I found it. Let's, let's come together and, and let's celebrate. How many of you have ever done that? Right? Unless you've lost like a million bucks. And then even still, you don't really want to call them over because then they'll know. Right? Okay, I've thought about this. I've thought about this. And so the woman loses a piece of silver. But I don't know, reading it, I just felt like maybe it was, it was a little overreaction for just losing a silver coin. And so I thought, you know, this is maybe something that I need to dig to really understand it. And I found that these coins were called drachmas. It's the Greek um, coin that's the equivalent of a Roman denarius. Basically, it is worth a day's wage. 
Okay, it's worth a day's wage. And she has how many of them? She has 10. Now, in these days, um, it was said that married women, what kind of women? Married women. So if you're not married, the sermon is still for you. Don't go anywhere. But married women wore a headband that was made up of coins that would have been strung together. They would have worn this, this headpiece that would have had coins strung together. And these coins, or even the entire headpiece at times, would have been provided by the woman's father when she was getting married. And it had very specific functions for the married woman. The first one is that it declared that she was, in fact, married. A man would see that the woman is wearing the headband, and she would see, okay, uh, so he would see, she's married, I shouldn't approach her. Kind of like the modern-day equivalent of the wedding ring. The wedding ring is, is designed to show, okay, we are in a union that cannot be broken. And some men, hopefully all men, would see a wedding ring and think, that woman is taken, I won't make any advances. Does it make sense? So the headband served as a, uh, functioned in a similar way. It showed that this woman was in fact married. Now what else, another, another application or another function that this, this headband of, of coins had is it declared that the woman was in fact independent. Now was she married or not? She was married, but she was also independent. It showed that the woman, if something had happened, if the husband decided to leave or if he wanted to divorce her, it showed that she would be able to look after herself. It was a, a constant reminder to the husband that if you do mess this woman about she, 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 and, and you send her elsewhere, it's not like she's going to die. She's going to be able to, at least for a time, look after herself until she can find a greater support group. Does this make sense? Are you with me so far? So that was another function. It was also, also, however, used to identify sinful women. Because if there were coins missing from this headrest, normally what would happen if a husband had found that his wife had been unfaithful, he would remove one of the coins. Now the minimum was generally 10. Um, and we can, we can probably... Um, infer from this that this couple, the, the woman in question and her, her likely husband, um, if he was still alive, were actually quite poor because they only had 10. Richer families would have headrests that have many more coins. So if there was, if you counted only nine, it said to the rest of society, the social groups and so on and so forth, that this woman was in fact unfaithful. So this headrest told people a lot about the woman. So it kind of makes sense now why it seems to be so precious to her that if she loses just a single piece, she still has nine more. It's not a drastic um, financial deficit, but, but to the woman, given what it means, it's important. She loses one piece and she, she searches diligently for it. This coin has no value while it is lost. It cannot adorn her head while it is lost. It cannot help provide the essentials of life when it was lost. And so it is imperative to this woman that she find this piece of silver. In other words, the silver represented to the woman her glory. Her what? Her glory. Now, the coin was lost where? In the house. 
The coin was lost in the house. And there's something about these three parables. They all have, in fact, there's, there's numerous things that, that these parables have in common. But I think it's essential for us just to keep in mind that the woman loses the coin in the house. In the house. In her house. What does a woman normally represent in the scriptures? Right. Normally when we read of a woman, we read of an actual woman. But in, 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 in certain places, it alludes to a church. The woman loses the coin in the house. You know, it used to be that to hide from God, people would leave the church. It used to be that way. To hide from God, they would leave the church. But now to hide from God, we stay in the church. To really get away from God, we stay in the church. Because rarely are we confronted with God in the church. Right? It's so easy for it to become a form. We just sing and we, we give offering and we listen to a sermon that likely just encourages us to live and that's it. You know? Really do, think about this. I, I had this experience and it, it's, a, it's a very unfortunate experience. But I had this, I had this experience uh, a week or two ago where I was sitting down and I was listening to a sermon and I was like, wow, I feel convicted. And I don't remember the last time where I heard an actual message and I was convicted to change my life. I was convicted to really come closer to Jesus. So often I walk out of church and think, yeah, that was all right. That was cool. That was interesting. But how many times I think to myself, have I gone home and sat down on my bed after the message and thought to myself, whoa, man, I really need Jesus. And I'm not so sure that I have him right now. There's this sin in my life that maybe I didn't even see before this message. And I go home and I'm convicted and I get home and he's like, Lord, I need you to change me. So I think it was last week I thought to myself, wow. That's conviction that I'm feeling. It's been a while since I sat in church and heard a message that stirred my heart. Now, hopefully, this hasn't been your experience. I'm just sharing what, what my experience has been. But, but what I found is that that's often the experience of many people. And coins get lost in the house. The woman's coins get lost in the house. I remember this story. It's a funny story. Of... This woman um, and her husband was a pilot, and he would he would fly all sorts of all sorts of journeys, and and he was quite forgetful though at home. It's not a good trait for a pilot, uh, but he was he was quite forgetful. And he's at home, and he's he's you know he's sitting down for dinner, and his wife's getting some things ready with with the kids. He's sitting down and he tastes it, and it's nice, but it needs a little bit of salt. And so he's like. Honey, where's the salt? I can't find the salt. And so she says to him, how is it that you can find a single runway and a dark night when there's a blizzard in Detroit, but you can't find the salt in your own kitchen? And he responds, well, they don't move Detroit. <laughs> I 
But here, the, the, reason, the reason why the coin lost, don't miss this point. The coin didn't lose itself. The coin didn't lose itself. The coin was lost because the woman lost the coin. And, and I think that it's imperative, it's, it's, it's of the utmost importance that we come to, to our senses and realize that sometimes people get lost in the church because of the church. Is it not reality? Sometimes the church itself causes people to be lost. And we think, oh no, maybe, maybe the universal church, but not the Seventh-day Adventist church. Yes, the Seventh-day Adventist church. We need to come off our high horse and admit that we have problems. That some, some things we're doing just aren't working and some people are getting lost in the church Coins that are going missing. Coins that mean the world to the church. Now, I don't believe that it's the fault of the actual church in the sense, the doctrine and the structure and the function of the church. I'm talking about the church. Me and you. Maybe more me, but maybe you too. Our mission has been to, to be here, to be present, to be, to be in the now, bringing people to Christ. But I often wonder, Dean, how many people have you led the opposite way? Oh, because it's exciting. It's exciting when, 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 when you're doing things and people are like, oh man, I was really encouraged by, by, by that thing that you did or this outreach project or so on and so forth. And it really, want, it really made me want to come closer to the Lord. But, but how often does that really happen? And I think to myself, how many times have, have I actually had an influence on people to the point where they're like, yeah, if that's a Christian, I don't really know if, if I want to be that. Because they're not going to come up and tell you, oh, by the way, I just really wanted to let you know that you've really turned me off Christianity and maybe I'll never see you again. Bye. You don't get those testimonies. You get the one random person that's actually been touched. But how many people have we led astray? Subconsciously, not intentionally. Not like we're going out of our way to work for the enemy's kingdom. But in contrast to how many people we've brought to the church, how many people have left because of us? The woman lost the coin. The woman, not the women, the, the church, the church lost the coin. And the coin doesn't know, obviously, right? The coin doesn't know that it's lost. The coin, the coin attends the church and, and, and the, coin, the coin sits in the church and the coin listens to the sermon and, and the sermon is calling people that are lost to come back to Christ. But the coin doesn't think it's lost. The coin's saying, no, I'm just under the sofa. I, I know where I am. I'm not lost. Right? I look, I, maybe I look lost to everyone else, but no, I'm not lost. And people are searching. Searching and searching and searching, but whilst we're in the church, you know, that sermon was deep, and it was, if my cousin was here, oh man, I wish that they had come. I wish they'd come to, to hear that message, because that was for them. The sin in their life, that was for them. 
the preacher hit it. Boy! Well, God knew they weren't coming, and God still sent that same preacher to preach that same sermon. And you were there. Do you know why I think we lose a lot of people? I think we lose a lot of people because we're not really interested in them. We're not really interested in them. There's this horrible phrase that we often use. It's called contacts. Contacts. That word just just makes my hair stand up on end. I've got a contact in the community. What's a contact? What are you doing to them? A contact. No, no, no. There's a person. And there's a difference between a person and a contact. There's someone, there's someone that's out there that's crying out for Jesus. They're not a contact. They're not a number. They're not a statistic. They're a real person who's as important in God's eyes as you are. But often, often we, we dehumanize people because we're so focused on mission. Where I come from, where I go to school, you don't stop to speak to people unless they're non-Adventist. Yeah, yeah, if, they, if they're not Adventist, they can have all your time. But if they're Adventist and if they're from there, well, you kind of just, you, you just talk to each other as you're walking in opposite directions. It's like you see them, oh, hey, how's it going? How's your day been? I, 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 I was talking. But we're walking in opposite, we're, we're not really interested. It's just become a formality. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I might need another one of these. Outreach, evangelism, these things are important. But they're only half of the gospel. Because there's people here already that aren't getting fed. There's actual Christians that are struggling to find Jesus, the one who they claim to be following. Lost inside the building. And how often do we stop and actually show interest? You see, it's it's easy to show interest in me. I've come here, I'm the special guest speaker. It's easy to like my family and so on and so forth. But what about the person next to you that you've never spoken to before? Outreach is important but not at the neglect of those who we fellowship with week in, week out. Sometimes days in, days out. These people, you and I, need Jesus also. What effort are we putting forth for them? Because because if we're being completely honest, Sabbath school and divine service ain't cutting it. I can't survive a week as a Christian, on one sermon on a Sabbath. Doesn't work. 
The church is meant to be a, a, a social structure where we come together and we empower one another. We equip one another. We're there for one another. Coins lost in the church. And you might ask a question, well, how do you stop the coin from even getting lost, right? How do you find something that doesn't even know it's lost? Should I tell you? Show an interest before they're lost. Right? Show an interest before they're lost because how easy is it when you've had this particular person attend your church week in, week out, week in, week out, sometimes for years on end, but, but no one really talks about them. No one invites them to potluck. No one hangs out with them. But the moment they stop attending church, oh, where's brother so-and-so? I saw them the other day walking with so-and-so who's not in the church. I saw them holding hands. We should call the elder, Right? It's so easy to show interest in people when it's already too late. When the coin's already falling from the headband, we're like, oh, the coin. But how much interest did you show the coin when it was still there? The coin is lost in the church. How? How does such a thing happen? Well, the houses of this time, the houses of Jesus' Jesus' age, they actually wouldn't have had windows, really. They would have had some sort of, you know, light that would have been able to come in through the ceiling, but they wouldn't, many of the rooms within the house wouldn't have had windows. They relied on artificial lights, such as candles. In other words... The coin gets lost in the house, and it takes the woman so long to find the coin because it's dark in the house. Are you with me? It's easy to lose the coin in the house when it's dark in the house. The house in which is said to, to, it, to hold the light of the world. How is it that we can have the light of the world and still be in darkness to the point where we can't even see the people amongst us that are lost. Something would tell me, just a hunch, is that maybe the light isn't really on in there. Maybe we're not really paying attention. Maybe, in fact, it is pretty dark. Jesus is the light of the world, not just the light of the house. The light of the world. But you know what? Sometimes it's brighter out there than in here. And this shouldn't come as a shock. When Jesus was speaking to the church of Laodicea, he was doing so through a closed door. Him being on the other side. Knocking, asking if they would let him come in so that he could sup with him. We're living, we're living in an age where we have a church that has all the truth, but Jesus is outside of it. The light is outside the, the house, and it's dark inside, and coins are getting lost inside, and the light is saying, can I come in? But the door is shut. There's darkness in the house. Jesus, absent, oftentimes from the church. 
You know, Jesus has no obligation to be here. Jesus is not obliged to be here at Loma Linda. Just because we have a great hospital and a great university and we're producing doctors like there's no tomorrow doesn't compel Jesus to be here at Loma Linda or in Advent Hope. Our works don't compel Jesus to be present. Jesus cannot be here if he is not first here. And if we have a Christless heart, we'll have a Christless religion. We'll have a Christless church. We'll have a dark house. And is it any surprise that people stumble in a dark house? Is it any surprise that we constantly trip over and fall when we're just walking amongst darkness? And so ask yourself, what can you do to brighten the room? What can you do to brighten the room? Well, you can bring Jesus in with you. If you have him here first. Now, the house isn't only dark. It's also pretty dirty. It says, if she lose one piece, does she not light a candle and sweep the house? The house is what? It's dirty. It's filthy. The house is filthy. There's filth in the house. The house that should be spotless and the house that should be pure is filthy. But I don't know if you've caught on to this. We've got a pretty good housekeeper. The Bible says that even, even now, Jesus is in the most holy place, cleansing the house. Cleansing the most holy place, cleansing the sanctuary, cleansing the church. There's filth in the church, but Jesus is here to clean the church. Not to clean the building, nor to build a new one, but to clean the heart. Because sin has made the heart filthy. Sin has allowed darkness to triumph in the church. And so Jesus is at work. Have you ever contemplated this? We often say, okay, the world will end, Matthew 24, verse 14. I think I mentioned this this morning. That when the gospel goes to the whole world as a what? As a witness, the, then the end will come. Right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus is, is our high priest in the most holy place of the sanctuary, right? Now, when the high priest went into the most holy place in the actual sanctuary, he could only come out when the sanctuary was what? Cleansed. The sanctuary was filthy, defiled with blood. The blood of, of, of the lambs in whom our sins would be transferred to. So the sanctuary is filthy because of sin. So the high priest would be cleansing the sanctuary of sin. Jesus now, the high priest in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary, is cleaning the heavenly sanctuary of sin. But how is he going to clean it if we keep depositing? Right? He's only really going to come when there's nothing left to clean. The high priest was in the sanctuary, not for the world. 
the high priest was in the sanctuary for the church. It was only the sins of Israel that went into the sanctuary because no one else was asking for forgiveness of sins. Jesus is only not here now because of us. He's not waiting for the world to get right. He's not sitting down idly just like, well, there's only three prophecies left and then I'm going I'm to begin my, my descent. You and I keep him there. And I think it's a simultaneous work. The gospel will go to the whole world, yes, and then the end shall come, sure, but that gospel goes as a witness. And we're not a very good witness if we keep tripping over in the dark. And so how do you find the coin? Well, you sweep the house. You sweep the house. You search the heart for sin. Do you know that the reason why you may not have noticed that that person was leaving God was because you were leaving God? We say that spiritual things are what? Spiritually discerned. And people are leaving God long before they leave the church. You know that, right? They don't leave the church and then leave God. They leave God and then they leave the church. They hang around a little bit because there's still that guilt until they convince themselves that it's just not worth it and then they can finally leave. There's signs. There's enough for us to notice that one of the coins is missing. But lost people don't find lost people. Right? Lost people don't find lost people. So they sweep the house. They search diligently to see if there's any filth that could be hiding the coin. And they turn on the light. The Bible says that the word is a, anyone know? A light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. The word is light. But they only turn on the light once something is lost. They only go to the light when something is already lost. Do you think maybe if they'd gone to the light before the thing was lost, they might have been able to keep it from being lost? How often we treat this as medication? Oh, well, times are hard. I better go to the Bible. Oh, I need an answer to my prayer. I better go to the Bible. Oh, Sabbath is coming up and, and, and I better go to the Bible because otherwise people are going to know. Never have we had more access to this book than this day and age. And never has it been read so little. We have it everywhere with us. We've got Bibles of all shapes and sizes when the Israelites were carrying around scrolls. We've got Bibles that fit in our pocket now. We've got Bibles where you don't even need to know that James comes after Hebrews. You just need to be able to recognize the word James. And you'll be able to scroll right there. We don't need to even memorize Scripture anymore because it only takes five little buttons of the first two words for us to search and tell people that encouraging verse. Never have we had so much access to the light and lived in so much darkness. 
to search for the lost coin, they turn on the lights and they sweep the house. Lost things stay lost without the light. I want to encourage you guys. It sounds almost mundane. Read your Bibles. We love to read, especially in places like this. We read publications, and we read dissertations, and we read magazines, and we even read devotionals. But how often do we actually read the Bible? As if we've graduated from reading the Bible. We only read Ellen White now. Right? We only read what people write about the Bible. But how often do we actually go to the Word? What does the Word have to say to me, directly to me today? Word of God, it sounds almost too easy, too simplistic, that within my hand right now lies the answers to global problems and personal individual problems, that I literally have it all here, and we all have it all here, yet so many of us lost. The coin was lost in the church. Look out for your people. Pay interest in the people that are around you. We're not going to accomplish this work as individuals. Jesus isn't going to come back if it says, you do your bit, I do my bit. We've been put here as a church, as a movement, a collective movement. Various times in, in the Old Testament, we see people shining, their faces shining with the glory of God. But we've never seen a whole movement, a whole group of people. Israel was meant to be there. Darkness. Our church has been sent for a time like this to reveal the glory of God, not just, not just as an individual, but as a collective. And we can't do that if we're not in the Word. We can't do that if we're not training young people how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to preach the Word instead of preaching cunningly devised fables and stories. Where's the young people preaching the Word? The 15-year-olds and the 16-year-olds and the 18-year-olds of such were Ellen and James White when they started this thing. It's as if you have to have gray hair to be in a position of leadership around here. Within our church, the only way you're really going to be the head of this or the head of that is if you've got a PhD, an MD, and an ABCDEFG. Right? And qualifications are important. Yeah, sure, I hope you know what you're doing. But what about the qualification of the Holy Spirit? Where's he gone? For moments, the disciples had PhDs in numerous languages, having never gone to school because of the Holy Spirit. Perfectly fluent. No classes necessary. Baptizing people left, right, and center, and never had taken theology. Do we believe that that power is still present today? That you and I can accomplish the things they turned the world upside down and we've been busy just re refocusing it? Lost in the church. 
The word says, and when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I had lost. The woman is brave enough to admit that the coin was lost because of her. That's the kind of leadership that speaks to my heart. I don't know about you guys, but I've been around too many hoary heads that have refused to say sorry when they were most definitely the ones in the wrong. Too many people sitting at the top of all these different pyramids that refuse to acknowledge their own shortcomings, but are the first to point out my sins. True leadership is able to hold its hands up and say, I messed this one up. This is on me. The woman said, hey guys, come over. I found the coin which I lost. We use the next part. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels, in the angels of God, over one sinner that repents. We often use that at baptisms. Right? When people have have come to the Lord. There's joy in heaven. Yeah. But that's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about baptism. This isn't talking about someone that didn't know Jesus, that suddenly found him. This is talking about someone that was in the church, that knew Jesus, that lost their way, but someone sought them out. And someone found them before it was too late. And someone managed to help bring them back to the Lord. There's joy in heaven when one sinner in the church repents and is found. That's something worth celebrating. It's easy to celebrate when the drug dealer comes to Jesus and is baptized and his whole life changes. Yeah, that's fine. But what about the celebration of the young Adventist that grew up in the church and was always in the church, but lost their way because everything just became a form and suddenly things just clicked for them. And they thought, hold on, Jesus loves me that much? That's worth celebrating? That's worth inviting people over. That's worth having dinners and special events. So says the father of the prodigal son, my son which was lost is now found. The sheep was part of the fold. The coin was in the house. The son was in the house. We're not just talking about people coming from without and coming in. We're saying those that were always here. Undoubtedly, there can be people amongst us now that have been lost from the moment they came to church. And so God looks at you and I, the woman, and says, so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? There's people amongst you stuck in sin. And they feel like there's no way out. And they've tried this and they've tried that. And they think they've tried Jesus. And they think they've claimed every Bible promise. What are we going to do? Just say, well, you know, it worked for me. There's people in our church suffering with depression. Suffering with loneliness. And they come to church week after week. And they sit right by themselves in the corner. Not because they want to be alone. But because they need to feel that someone wants to sit next to them. There's people in our church who are suicidal. That come here as a last resort. Looking desperately for God. 
And when they come here looking for God, they don't look this way. They look this way. They look at me and they look at you. They look at us to see if there's proof that God is real. Not for the sermon, for the Bible. They're looking at us. They're looking at this church. They're looking at places like Loma Linda that's, that's literally designed to be a place of healing. Lost coins in the church. Guys, don't neglect each other. Don't neglect each other. Yes, keep the passion and keep this emphasis on reaching out to your community. But reach out to the person that you're sitting next to as well. Let them know that Jesus loves them. Let them know that you love them. It's so easy nowadays to just, to, to mask kindness and to mask true love in superficiality. Oh, happy Sabbath, have a blessed day. Don't tell me that. Come to me, speak to me, find out where I am. Where's my heart? Don't ask me how my week was whilst you're talking to someone else. Show an interest in one another. I'm not asking you to bombard me after this message. But bombard someone. Even if you think they're fine. Even if you think they're okay. We are experts at hiding who and what we truly are. Spend some time getting to know the people that you think you know. Jesus took 12. And he knew them inside out. He didn't take for granted that one of them was already lost. He reached out. Gave him something to do. Included him in the group. Made him feel like he had a purpose just for the hope that one day this brother would realize that he needs to be saved. Do the same. Be the helping hand that someone in here needs. Be the Jesus. Be the God. Be the church that the lost coin is crying out for. Sweep the house. Turn on the light. Pay attention, not just to the ones that are on fire, but for the ones that are looking for that spark. We have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility to build this church until Jesus comes. And we cannot fill it if we are destroying its very foundation. Growth works both ways. Discipleship isn't just about evangelism. It's working from the inside out, not the outside in. Rejoice. Because the coin that was lost, even though it didn't know it was lost, was found. And there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Just one. Just look for that one. And if it's you, if you're that one, I know it's difficult. 
but reach out. Reach out, even if it's to someone that you don't even know their name. Reach out and let them know you're struggling. You need some help. You need someone strong that can, that can get you through this difficult time, that can help you come to Jesus. Reach out to someone that you think has a strong prayer life. You might find that they don't at all, but then at least you're in the same boat and together you can look for someone else. Reach out. Don't suffer in silence. Don't feel like you're the only one. Elijah felt like that. There was 5,000 more. Reach out. Let someone know that you're struggling. It can literally change your life. Let someone know that you're stuck in darkness and you need someone to bring some light into your life. It can do the world of difference. Don't settle for being lost. Don't settle for apathy. Don't settle for depression. Reach out, not just to those amongst you, but reach out to the Lord. He promised, if you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Claim it. Search. Look through the Word of God. It has the answers, I promise. I promise. We don't have to suffer alone. We don't have to be in this just by ourselves. Father in heaven, this coin was lost and it didn't even know. We don't even know how long it was lost for. But we thank you for those diligent seekers. Those that truly are seeking the lost. But not only those that are going afar, but those that are staying right here. Thank you for those, Lord, who have never stopped praying for us, though we don't even know their names. Thank you, Lord, for those that offered a genuine word of encouragement and not just wished us a happy Sabbath as they walked by. Father, I ask that you give us a desire to see souls saved in your kingdom. But help us not to neglect those whose names were already written once. Father, we're living in a time of darkness. And we know that the darkness is greatest just before the dawn. We believe that your son Jesus Christ is, is coming very soon. But help us, Lord, to reach out to those that are slipping. Reach out to those that are falling, those that are languishing in darkness, that see no light. Help us to have a personal light, Lord. To know who you are for ourselves that we can help the others that don't. Father, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that is found. My prayer is that there's joy in heaven right now. That there's someone here today that says, I'm lost. I'm lost, but I know that Jesus is looking for me. I'm lost, but there's a brother or sister here that's been searching me out. Father, we're told that spiritual things are spiritually discerned, so give us your Holy Spirit. We plead, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We cannot, we dare not do this work without Him. Fill us. Rid us of everything that is unlike you and fill us with your Spirit. Fill our church. Lord, our church is being smashed from left to right, attacked by all the demons of hell. Give us the Holy Spirit. 
The same Holy Spirit that rebuked demonic forces in this written word. Let us see it today. Let us see it in the church that we love, in the church that you love. And Father, help us to be the church that you've called us to be. A light to the world, yes, but to our own members also. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.